So if you know me already, I always start with a question or getting you to think differently. What kind of leader are you? Let me share an example of my experience of different kinds of leadership. When I was mid-career trying to get ahead, I asked somebody that I looked up to, what should I do to get ahead in my career? And they said, get your MBA. That's what you need. Well, I didn't follow that advice. However, during my journey, I also asked another person I respected who was getting ready to retire. And I said, what do I need to do or change to improve my career or get ahead? And he said, change nothing, just be yourself. So then it got me thinking, well, what is it about me that was already okay? And I just needed to evolve it. And so then I asked you, what kind of leader are you when it comes to developing your people? Are you focused on the task or the specific thing that you can check the box on? Or is your role to inspire or cheer them on? My conversation with Caramer and Harold was amazing. This soundbite sums it all up. You know, unless you're flying planes or doing brain surgery, no one needs perfect. It doesn't have to be the perfect email. It doesn't have to be the perfect system. It doesn't have to be the perfect slide deck. It doesn't have to be the, because you can always make something a little more perfect, right? So growth for me comes with alignment with vision, alignment with core values and obsession about good people, giving people the tools to do their job. And then I've always believed that the leader's core job is to grow people, right? So I believe that hyper growth comes from really growing the skill set and capacity of our people so that they can do more, right? And then if we grow their confidence at the same time as we grow their skills, right? Cheer them on, praise them, find areas they've done well in, celebrate successes. That energy fuels them to do more and take more and try more. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you again for joining me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast, where I speak to amazing leaders week after week and bring their insights to you. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And now it is my honor to bring my fantastic guest, Cameron Harold. Now, I bring insights and inspiration to you, and I'm sure that you have ideas, tactics, and systems that already work in your company, yet sometimes we are so close to our own challenges, we can't see the problems, and it often takes a mindset shift to uncover the exponential growth that lies under those obstacles. So it is Cameron Harold, who is also known as the CEO's Whisperer, and through COO Alliance, he is helping hundreds of CEOs across many countries grow their businesses and by growing their second in command. So with 25 years of mind shifting experiences as a business growth guru who has helped many 
companies by the time he has been 42. He has had so many successes and yes, occasionally some failures and have given him the insights that help and he knows what works with business owners. So his work has transcended many companies that have been featured by the Associated Press, Bloomberg, New York Times, Wall Street. He's even been interviewed by Oprah. I have the good fortune of sharing the mic with him. Cameron, welcome to the show. Hey, Deb. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. And I'm so excited. When I got introduced to you, I was grateful because you are a person that has some insights that I don't have. You've been an entrepreneur for many years. You've had so many businesses that you've gone through, but we both have in common. We drop into situations. We work with the senior business leaders and help them to get back on track. But before we get into the meat of the conversation, share with our listeners a bit about you personally and your career and the work that you're doing now because while a lot of people know you, not everybody does. And I think they do need to get to know you. Sure. So I was groomed as an entrepreneur. My father owned his own company, as did both sets of my grandparents, and they raised the three kids to be entrepreneurs. So for the last 25 years, my brother, my sister, and myself have all run our own companies. I was an entrepreneur with my first real company when I was 21 years old. I had 12 full-time employees. I ran a business for three years while I was in university. I actually started coaching entrepreneurs in 1989. So I've been coaching entrepreneurs for 32 years. I had coached 120 entrepreneurs by the time I was 28 years old, including Elon Musk's brother, Kimball. I hired Kimball Musk and trained him and showed him how to run his first business. And then his cousin, Peter Reeve, who built SolarCity, I coached both of them 27 years ago. Built a company called College Pro Painters. I opened the West Coast of the United States for College Pro Painters went on as a co-founder of the franchising group for Boyd Auto Body and Glass. We built out the largest collision repair chain in North America. It's called Gerber Auto Collision in the US, Boyd Auto Body in Canada. Then I was hired as the president of a private currency company. We built that company up and sold it. And then I joined my best friend, Brian, to take his little garbage business called the Rubbish Boys. We rebranded it as 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and I joined as the 14th employee. Took that to 3,100 employees in six years. We ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for, had landed 5,200 stories about our company, big growth, just a really fun opportunity and experience. Left there 14 years ago now and started again coaching entrepreneurs. I've written five books. I started an organization five years ago called the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command where no entrepreneurs are allowed to join. It's only COOs from around the world. And then I started a a course that I just launched recently called Invest in My Leaders. So I've always been around helping entrepreneurial organizations. I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries. That's kind of my background, I guess. Fascinating. And I'm curious, how did you land on, however, COO versus CEO? So it's interesting. Everyone in the world is targeting CEOs. So there was a bit of a blue ocean with the COOs. I had been a COO three times where I was the second in command for this collision repair chain. I was effectively second in command for this house painting business and running the West Coast of the US. And I was also the second in command for 1-800-GOT-JUNK and for the private currency company for a while when I was acting as president reporting to their CEO. So I've been in that second in command role in these entrepreneurial organizations. And I saw there was a missing link there. In a lot of worlds, we're trying to teach the entrepreneur how to do stuff when they're not capable of doing it. They're capable of knowing what it has to get done, but the COO is capable of actually getting it done. And then three of my clients that I was coaching, 
their COOs wanted to get together and talk about the ideas. When you talk to an entrepreneur about recruiting, they're like, we got to get all the right people on the bus. And they feel like that was a discussion about recruiting. That's like a tagline from good to great. But when you talk to a, a COO about recruiting, they could spend two days dissecting top grading and dissecting the interview process and dissecting reference checks and scorecards. And so I just saw that need for them. And we started the organization. We've now got about 145 members from 17 countries around the world. Minimum criteria, you have to do at least 5 million in revenue just to join. We've actually added nine new members in the last nine days. So we're just actually hitting a bit of an inflection point now in our growth. So that resonates with me because I have an operations background. I grew up in quality. That's my pedigree. But I operational excellence, how can we do it better, faster, cheaper? What are those systems? Hence, why my quality management background? And so it is, I remember early on, here's a quick story where I had a leader that I was reporting to writing on a whiteboard, all of these ideas, and I'm getting immensely frustrated with them. I said, okay, so I, I see the white fluffy clouds. Now, what are we going to do? When are we going to get it started? And how are we going to do that? So that is that mindset. So I so get it. But the entrepreneur has the vision. And so it is that challenge of bringing the COO narrative with the vision. But I'm curious. So you're developing the COO, the second in command. What are those challenges or opportunities for the COO for which your services and insights can move them ahead? So one of the core ones is understanding the dynamic of the CEO-COO relationship. Almost like the men are from Mars, women are from Venus book that got so powerful where men finally understood women and women finally started to understand men. And we realized that men aren't just hairy versions of women. We're different animals, and we think differently, we approach things differently. Well, CEOs and COOs approach companies in a very different way. So it's understanding that personality profile of the CEO, it's understanding their DNA, it's understanding how to communicate in the way that they can hear, it's understanding how to ask from them what you need in a way that they can deliver that to you, it's understanding how to build trust. So it's really building that high functioning team is probably the first thing that we focus on. The second one is really educating the CEO what needs to happen in the company so they know what needs to happen, but letting them know they don't have to worry about how to do it, that the COO will take over to make sure that the team knows how to do it. Almost like if we were building a home. As the homeowner, as the CEO, I know what I want to build, but I don't have to know how to do electrical, how to do plumbing, how to do foundation work, how to do drywall. I just need to know that that has to happen. Well, the CEOs are often trying to do the wrong stuff. So for the COOs, we're trying to grow them so they have the skill set and the capacity and can build trust. And then the third area is really how to have the tough discussions with the CEO that no one else is often willing to have. It's often the emperor's new suit where no one's willing to tell the king that he's naked. And someone needs to tell the CEO that there's a problem in a confidential environment behind the scenes where we don't make them look bad where we can tell them, look, you're doing something that's coming off the wrong way, or you're frustrating people, or and it's doing it in a very trusted way where you make them look good. So the COO's job is to make the CEO look good. And the CEO's job behind the scenes is to make sure that people still like the COO, who's often rolling up the tough decisions. So we spend a lot of time around those types of areas. So it's the interaction. It may not necessarily be the skill of one, but it's the interaction and how we can build that trust. 
I got to ask you a question because I wrote an article again, this interview, I mean, our listeners aren't benefiting from this conversation, but I am curious. I once wrote an article. I said, shouldn't one and the same person who performs the role of a CEO, couldn't they also do the role or understand the role of a COO. And I said, why don't we have more chief leadership officers? Because there's the leadership to see the future and the vision and take it in a particular direction. And then you need to understand how it operates. So why can't they be one in the same person or can they be up to a point and then you need a separation? I think they are in the very early stages of entrepreneurship where the leader needs to be the vision and the hiring of people and directing of people and organizing of people. And then you can start to divide and conquer where I think the leader's core role is to be the vision, the kind of in in charge of culture, maybe working on strategy and with the board. But in terms of the operational getting shit done, it doesn't often fly with their DNA. It is very much a DNA thing. They're just wired differently. And that's the entrepreneurial CEO. When you get into the professional CEOs, they're running bigger organizations where they can't run everything anyway. They've got teams of teams that it is very much a divide and conquer kind of thing at that point. I'm finding that myself. So I am the visionary and my operations person has to keep me at bay. Well, here's something that's interesting that ties back into what you were asking though as well is in some companies, the CEO runs marketing. In some cases, the CEO does. In some cases, the CEO runs engineering. In some cases, the COO does. In some cases, finance reports to the CEO. In some, it reports to the COO. So really what it comes down to is what does the CEO love? What is the CEO good at? What gives the CEO energy? And then let's get everything off their plate that drains them or they suck at or they don't like doing. And let's have the COO do that stuff. In a 1950s traditional family, husband and wife, she cleaned, she cooked, she took care of the kids, she took care of... Nowadays, it's very much a, I love cooking. My girlfriend hates cooking. I love the shopping. I love the meal planning. I love the prep. I love the cooking. It's my art form. She fucking hates it, but she likes cleaning. And and the other day I hopped up to do the laundry. She's like, no, sit down. I want to do this. Like, And I'm like, good, because I don't really love laundry, but she knew that I was going to be hopping up to then cook dinner. So... We began the divide and conquer of the roles in the home based on what we loved and what we're good at, not based on what was a blue job and what was a pink job. And I think that's what happens with the CEO is they get to delegate everything but genius. Amazing. And I'm feeling that now again. I want to say this once. I am not that $5 million business where I do need that CEO and COO, but I do now realize I love building the brand. I love elevating others. I am the face. I am the sales and marketing. I am the brand. And while I love the details and keeping things in check, I am now getting ready to automate all that back office stuff. As much as I love it, I'm beginning to hate it because it keeps me from doing the stuff that I love. Yeah, I've come down like, so an example for me, there's really three areas of my business that I love doing. I love talking to the media or speaking at events. I love coaching leaders. And I love networking and finding the who's to do the stuff that needs to get done. But outside of that, there's a lot of stuff I'm really good at, but I don't love it. I don't love to sell. I don't love to cold call. I don't love to oversee marketing. I don't love to oversee accounting and finance. I don't love strategy, but I love media. I love networking. I love coaching. It feeds me. I would do it for free, except my kids have to eat. So if I can delegate everything except genius, then it's easy. 
So let's take this in another direction. I love where this conversation's been. But when we think about, though, the people that you have had to help, where a COO or an organization, and I'm not sure where you come in at, is it working with the actual leader on their mindset or their skills, or is it the entire organization to get them back on track? And I'm curious about what are the typical challenges that you have seen and how do you help them? Yeah, it's never the organization. It's usually the CEO or CEO and COO. And then once in a while, they'll put one of their team members onto a call with me if I'm coaching them. If it's the COO Alliance, it's only the second in command that gets to join. So it's the person who is second to the CEO. It could be president, it could be VP operations, it could be CFO. It doesn't matter on their title as long as they're the second in command to the CEO. I don't work across and I don't do work. I, I have no deliverables for any of my clients. So I'm giving them the beta transfer of my information and ideas and systems and helping them. I'm not giving them the fish, but teaching them the fish. I'm teaching them how to grow organizations. And I work mostly on the areas of people, strategic thinking, meeting rhythms, kind of how to get more shit done with less people faster. Where I don't get into is IT and I don't get into the finance side of the business. What's funny is I actually don't even know most of my company's core businesses, products, or services. I coach the second-in-command at Sprint, but I don't know anything about the teleco space. I don't know anything about telecommunication. I don't even know how they sell cell phones. But it didn't matter because I was teaching the second-in-command at Sprint how to make the company more entrepreneurial so that it could merge with T-Mobile and sell. I've coached a trucking and fulfillment company for six years from 40 employees up to 700. They just raised $255 million from Warburg Pincus I don't understand anything about freight and logistics at all. So we don't even talk about what they do. We talk about how they do. But what I'd love to really know is a story. So I get you. You're an expert. You've done it. I need to understand at a deeper level, what was the situation, a particular person you coached through the COO Alliance? They were here and they got to hear. What were some of the breakthroughs or the learnings or the ahas that then they were able to break through and make a difference? One was a guy named Zach Morrison, who was running a company called Elite SEM. And they were about 40 employees. They're now about five or 600 today. They were looking to really scale the organization. And one of the things we pushed them on was delegating everything except genius was getting their leadership team of six people to stop managing accounts, to stop dealing directly with customers. And there was a lot of the obstacles of, well, we can't, and this is how we've always done it. And you don't understand our business. And so I just challenged them to think differently. And if I put a gun to your head and you had to, or if you were dying and you needed to, like, and they worked through the problems and all of a sudden they realized that if they delegated, they'd grow faster so they delegated, they trained people, they grew people, and their business growth just exploded. And it was because they decided to think differently. So because I don't understand their industry, I don't get caught in the we can't do it because I don't know their business at all anyway. So I'm like, well, what if you could? Like, you think about Tesla. If anyone had ever said to you, we're going to build a car company and we will sell cars over the internet and we will never have car dealers we would have thought they were crazy. But here I am buying a $130,000 Model S off the internet. I'd never test drove one. And I go and pick it up three weeks later. And it was like as simple as ordering from Amazon. Elon wasn't from the car industry. So he didn't have any of those preconceived notions of what couldn't be done. So I think that's where the COO Alliance is interesting is because we're across every industry and the COOs are trying to think differently. We have the Second command for Sunbrella, 
$1.2 billion fabric company. And we've got the biggest Domino's franchisee in North America who's learning from a 26-year-old COO of a digital marketing agency with 40 employees because they all realize that they can learn from each other in different ways. They don't need to think about their industry the same. That's one of the stories, and I won't go into it right now, but I gave a presentation. My region wasn't doing very well in one of my organizations, but I started from a different place of thinking differently. I said, I'm not going to talk to you first about what we're going to do, but I'm going to talk about my leadership, my reflection, how I've lead, how I'm going to change, and, and what am I going to do differently and paint the vision. And then I got into the details of what we were going to do. Some people hated it and some people really loved it. We need more people to think differently. Yeah. And you know what? The people that don't like the vision of where we're going, it's probably the best time for them to quit and go somewhere they do want to be because it is where we're going. But I remember years ago, and I found this was really strange. I was around 22. My sister was about 18. My brother was 20. And we were going to Mexico. My brother didn't want to go to Mexico. He had no interest in going to Mexico. And my parents said, you know what? If you don't want to go, find a friend that you can stay at their home and we'll go to Mexico and you stay at the home. So he did. And he stayed at his friend's home and they did like sailing lessons and tennis lessons. And he had a fantastic week. And I thought, wow, that was really interesting that when he knew where we were going, they didn't make him go there. And I think we need to do that with more of our employees is if we're really clear on the vision of where we're taking our company, our vivid vision, and they don't see themselves being a part of that for three years, why are we going to drag them along? Let's go and recruit more people who want to build what we're building, and let's let them go work at another company that they're more passionate about. One more question about one of your keynotes before we start bringing it back to the CEO or people within a company that need to adopt some of this thought process, but one of your keynotes, leadership at 100 miles an hour. You talk about these are the secrets that you need to double the size of your companies and increase profits. But I'm curious because there's also a mindset, or maybe it's the wrong one. Slow, steady, consistent quality will win the race. There's no shortcut to success. Now, go there. Tell me what you think. That sounds horrible to me. <laughs> well, there is shortcuts to success. Like the answer is in the back of every textbook and Google gives you the answer and you could get seven people to all write the exam together. Like there is a better way, a faster way, but I don't believe that slow and steady. I believe that momentum creates momentum. I believe that instead of minimum viable product, it's minimum viable everything. That the reality is that it's about getting it done and out the door because that momentum will create momentum. Here's a, something really interesting for everybody smart who's listening right now. Everyone who's worked really hard in university or high school to get the A, to get the 4.0. I didn't even realize until recently there was a 4.2. I had no idea. But no one's ever asked for your GPA since. No one has ever asked for your transcript of your university grades. No one's ever given a shit whether you got a B or a C or an A. So the reality is, okay is good enough. Unless you're flying planes or doing brain surgery, no one needs perfect. It doesn't have to be the perfect email. It doesn't have to be the perfect system. It doesn't have to be the perfect slide deck. It doesn't have to be the... Because you can always make something a little more perfect, right? So growth for me comes with alignment with vision, alignment with core values, and obsession about good people, giving people the tools to do their job, and then I've always believed that the leader's core job is to grow people. It's even the course that I launched is called Invest in Your Leaders. And the whole idea of investing in your leaders is giving them the skills to do their job. 
So the 12 modules of the course are situational leadership, coaching, delegation, time management, project management, conflict management, effective meetings, interviewing, hiring and onboarding, like the skills that every leader needs that we don't teach them. And then we wonder why are we running shitty meetings while we've never trained them? Or why can't people get their email done? Because we've never trained them. Or how come they don't deal with conflict well? Because we've never trained them. We teach them how to do the functional aspects of their job, but we don't teach them the executive functioning skills until you're in a big company like a Xerox or a Starbucks or a GE, where they have leadership teams and HR departments. But most of the companies with the 30 employees to 300 employees have no development training to grow their people. So I believe that hyper growth comes from really growing the skill set and capacity of our people so that they can do more. And then if we grow their confidence at the same time as we grow their skills, cheer them on, praise them, find areas they've done well in, celebrate successes, that energy fuels them to do more and take more and try more. And so that's why we're so aligned, because I drop into companies that are 25 to about 100 employees, and we get frustrated with those people that have been subject matter experts that execute and get things out the door. And then we say, we have a problem. They can't grow. They're not doing succession planning. They're not creating a roadmap. They're not creating a vision, the behaviors. And then we wonder what's wrong. And then they say, Deb, can you help me? <laughs> so I drop in and help do that. But what you're offering is it's so critical. One of the things I talk about is corporate courage. Sometimes a senior leader going through rapid change in an organization, the COO, needs the courage to realize you can't do it alone. You might need an external resource, the course, to teach those essential skills. Because if you don't, I also talk about corporate destabilization. You promote them, the company is going through rapid growth, and then things start breaking. And then your customers feel it. And you know what's happening? I think the reason that people are starting to become okay with hiring experts like us to come in and help them, they're having to unlearn something the school system screwed them up with. So if you start in kindergarten and you go to the end of university, you've now gone to school for 17 years. And in 17 years, you were taught to be the smartest person in the room. You were taught to memorize everything, to do it all on your own. Can't ask your neighbor. Don't look at their notes. You had to be the smartest person. 17 years, we were fucked up. If they'd said to us, hey, for the next 17 years, every test, you get to work with all the other people at your table. Copy all the smart people. Collaborate. You do question one. I'll do question two. Let's research and find the answers, which is how you do business. Let's find an expert to help us. Everyone would have gotten straight A's. Everyone would have had more confidence. Everyone would have figured it out. So the managers and leaders in companies today that are 35, 45, 55, 65 years old are having to unlearn that they don't have to be the smartest person in the room. They have to know who the smart people are and connect with them and get help. Learning from failure is stupid when somebody else can actually teach you so you don't have to learn from the failure. So I have a question because I want to make sure, and I know you're already helping 150, 200 people through the COO Alliance, but I want to make sure that the other, all the rest of the other second-in-commands, the COOs, what pain are they feeling? What are they struggling with that maybe they should think about or ask a question and consider the work that you're doing and aligning with the course or the COO Alliance? I was speaking with someone this morning. I have a podcast called the Second-in-Command Podcast, and I was speaking with a guest from that who runs a billion-dollar organization. 
And one of the things that he was struggling with was the confidence to have the tough discussions with his CEO, the confidence to have good, healthy conflict and debate privately. So that was one thing he was struggling with. I think another one is that imposter syndrome. Remember, Brian was a COO at one of our CO Alliance events, Brian Cavello, and he put his hand up with me privately at lunch. And he said, you know, I feel like an imposter. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I shouldn't even be in the room. And I went back out to the room after lunch. I said, do you mind if I ask people? He goes, no, go ahead. So I went back to the room and we had about 40 of our members at this event. And I said, who here feels like an imposter? Who here feels like they're still winging it? And every single person put their hand up. Everyone. And all of a sudden, you could see Brian was like, oh my God, I'm not the only I'm like, no, dude. So this is the biggest thing that we've ever done. Today, whatever we're doing is probably the biggest thing we've ever done. We're always challenging ourselves. We're always trying to figure this out. And I think that's something that all COOs and leaders, frankly, are struggling with, is that feeling like they're going to get found out. And that's the fear the school system built into us is that we had to be the smartest person where we don't. It's okay to put your hand up and go, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing here. Like I was coaching the CEO of Sprint, Marcelo Claret. He was the CEO. He, he got brought in. He was already a billionaire. He got brought in to turn Sprint around. He's now the chairman of WeWork and he's on the board of Google. And I was coaching him six years ago. And I was sitting in his boardroom, just Marcelo and I, we were talking about people. We were top grading his team, deciding who to fire and who to handcuff and who to put in different roles. And he looked at me and he goes, when are people no longer going to be the problem? And I started laughing. I'm like, Marcelo, you're the 82nd largest company in the US. If they're still the problem now, they're always going to be the problem. That made me realize like, here's a CEO of a Fortune 80 who is still trying to figure it out. We're all trying to figure it out. The benefit and the value of the COO Alliance, we need to be amongst people that are going through the same challenges we can hopefully solve it together. Yeah, I'm a member of four mastermind groups myself. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I've been in the Genius Network for seven years. I go to an event called Baby Bathwater. I'm in another one called War Room. I've gone to the main five-day TED conference for 11 years. I'm in these mastermind groups so that I surround myself with smart people to either know them so I can reach out for help or reach out for them to do stuff or so that I can get inspired or so that I can learn from these other leaders. And they are as well. Selfish question here. So I too am in search of the right masterminds. I've been testing out a few here and there. And sure, you meet great people, you network offline a little bit, and they try to pay it forward or help you out. But for you, what have been the best qualities of a mastermind or professional networking organization that has really clicked or worked for you? Because I still am in search for the perfect one. Yeah, they're all very different. My first one I was a fraternity that I was in. My second one was College Pro Painters, was kind of a mastermind of all these entrepreneurs all running franchises together. The next one was the Entrepreneurs Organization, which was, I was a member from 1995 to 2000, was all these young entrepreneurs. That gave me confidence and gave me a network. The Genius Network gives me all these brilliant marketing ideas and biz dev ideas and partnership ideas. War Room gives me deep, deep expertise in marketing and online marketing and digital marketing. Baby, but like, they're just different. Where I would go with as an entrepreneur or as a leader, I would make a list of what do you want to get better at? What do you want to learn? And then what groups will help you with that? Entrepreneurs organization is great if you want to build a network. But if you don't want a network, I think you could probably learn more in another group. 
strategic coach, which I was in for seven years. I was in Dan Sullivan's top group. I benefited while I was there, but then I was like, yeah, I don't need this. I'm not at the stage where I'm worrying about building my 75-year-old self. But when I was in it, I got some really good value for things I was working on then. It's just, what are you trying to learn? Right. Sound advice. And I, in retrospect, I should have been in a mastermind a long time ago because I am constantly getting new thoughts and sending me in a million different directions and I got to reel it in. But let's go to one more special person who's listening to this is the emerging leader, the highly talented person. Yes, they got straight A's in school. They're very smart. They've done quite well. They may have hit a roadblock and the ecosystem doesn't support them. They want to continue to provide value and maybe be the COO or CEO. What are some things they can do now to position themselves right so they will be highly effective when they get to that role? One would be to check your ego at the door. Because if you are the really smart person, I think you carry a bit of that chip on your shoulder that will go against you because there's a lot of smart people. That story of at Harvard and every Harvard MBA, and they turn to everyone on the first day of the MBA program and they say, look beside you. And on each side of you, that everyone here was valedictorian. Everyone here was an athlete. Everyone here was a 4.2 student. Everyone here ran a business. Everyone here did charity work. And only 70% of you are going to pass. And you were all the smartest person in the room. So it's not about being the smartest person in the room. And that was, I think, a big ego check for people. So I think that would be one. The second would be just to find something that you're working on and go a million miles an hour at it. And just because. It takes a long time to get to the night before you become the overnight success story. But if you really drive hard in one direction, at some point, you'll find another direction and you'll drive really hard in that one. And you'll connect the dots backwards to realize what got you there. But I think it is that drive and that determination and that passion. And then the third would be like, if you're doing something that doesn't feed you, it doesn't feel right, you don't stop. If you're living in a shitty city, move, right? If you're in a shitty job, go. If you're in a bad relationship, stop. Like, we only get one life. It isn't really that hard. So this has been an amazing conversation. I'm grateful to know you have the opportunity to pick your brains a little bit and help improve how I serve others and, I don't know, go with my passion. You've been inspiring in that way. If there are any last closing thoughts that you wanted to share with people or how can people connect with you, what would that be? I think the one that I've been saying recently is to remember that none of this actually matters, that we're all going to die and we're all just walking each other home and let's have fun along the journey. And if you can have fun in doing what you're doing and while you're doing it, that I think it makes the journey a little bit better. And you also spin off more positive energy with everybody as well. So that would be the big one. Right? Let's just have fun along the way. And how can people get a hold of you, Cameron? Everybody must know you. <laughs> sure. All five of my books are on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. My Invest in Your Leaders course, if they go to investinyourleaders.com and sign up for it there, it's easy. The Second in Command podcast is definitely one that people should subscribe to. And then the COO Alliance, just go to COOalliance.com. If you're greater than 5 million in revenue, you should take a look at putting your second command into that. So I normally wish you continued success in what you're doing. You already have been amazingly successful, but now you're giving back and helping others. This has been a fantastic interview. I'm grateful and simply thank you for your time. Thanks, Deb. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership navigate rapid transformation and elevate the leaders of tomorrow if you're feeling off track the ceo's compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days not months 
You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.